What's going on, Vinyl Community? You are listening to The Record Spinner here on Vinyl Community Podcasts, and welcome to another episode of a series that I am hosting exclusively here on the podcast called Current Rotations, where I showcase and discuss every single record that I have been spinning as of lately on my turntable. Now, today's episode... It's not going to be thematic like, let's say, some of the other episodes that I've done as part of the series. I guess you could call it maybe a twist on Amoeba's What's in My Bag because um, at the record store that I work at, I always have a personal bag of records from my collection that I choose to play in store. And typically these are albums that, let's say, maybe if I'm listening to a particular band on a given week that I'm really engrossed in, I'll pick an album of theirs. Or maybe if I'm flipping through my collection and I see an album that I haven't listened to in quite some time, I'll pull that out and play it. Or if I know that I'm working with a particular co-worker and I know what they like, I'll bring something to kind of appease them. So this bag that I have in front of me that I'm going to kind of just pull out and discuss in good detail is a little bit of everything essentially so it kind of just goes to show how wide the scope is of my collection and it kind of just goes to show that with every episode of the current rotation series you never know what you're gonna get and also side note i apologize if i sound a little nasally um i'm not channeling my inner uh, billy joe armstrong by any means just coming off the tail end of a sinus little situation but uh i did not want to skip out on another episode for this month so i'm providing you guys the goods because well you deserve it so anyways we have a lot to get through in this bag so enough of the chit chat let's jump into what this episode is all about all right so i'm going to be starting things off with an unofficial pressing uh that i picked up right around the turn of the new year over at my favorite record store which is sky valley records in summerdale new jersey uh chuck the owner of the shop is a great dude and he always stocks up on a lot of unofficial stuff from time to time so typically when he does a massive order i immediately try to call dibs on whatever stuff that he gets in for the shop and one of the things that i saw that i was aware that's kind of been out for a while but i just figured i would approach later as a matter of fact i think i saw it the last time that i was at the shop before i picked it up this time uh was the van halen best of volume one collection so this compilation first came out on cd in the late 90s and it never got a proper vinyl pressing so this is the only vinyl press that's out there of this and who's to say that since they have done the van hagar box set maybe they'll approach this compilation sometime maybe later on uh but with this comp though it's kind of interesting because i do feel that the roth years are kind of interestingly um represented i say that in the terms of stuff that is left off um obviously you get things like eruption ain't talk about love run with the devil dance the night away unchained jumped panama but then again where is you know hot for teacher where is beautiful girls where's everybody wants some things like that now obviously the tagline of this compilation is volume one so very well you know those tracks could have appeared on a volume two but obviously that has not come to fruition since the 90s essentially but i will say as kind of critical as i am of the raw representation um the main draw for me with this compilation is the van hagar stuff now i'm not one of those roth versus hagar kind of guys um it's just when i think of van halen i think of david lee roth but 
when it came to listening to the notable hits that came from the Van Hagar era, such as Why Can't This Be Love, Dreams, When It's Love, Pound Cake, Right Now, um... They are just absolutely sensational. Bit of a different animal compared to the Roth years, but it's still solid. Hell, I gotta say, for as much as this song kind of gets a little bit of a bad rep, uh, Humans Being, the track that was done for the Twister soundtrack, is probably my favorite Van Hagar track. Maybe to a Van Halen diehard that sounds ludicrous, but it's an ass-kicking song. But what's great with this compilation that provides a sense of exclusivity are the two cuts that are that were new tracks that were recorded with David Lee Roth. And those tracks are Can't Get This Stuff No More and Me Wise Magic. So, like I said, who's to say that this will get an official pressing down the line? But it's a solid package, you know, basic jacket, uh, two LPs on gold vinyl to kind of match with the gold text and imagery that's part of the original artwork. But overall, it's a fun listen. And like I said, it makes me appreciate the Van Hagar stuff much, much more with time. Coincidentally, here is another record that I picked up at Sky Valley that I just happen to have been spinning a lot as of lately, and that is the brand new 40th anniversary reissue of Ozzy Osbourne's Bark at the Moon. Now, I'm just going to go on record saying that given Ozzy's stature in the music circles for being someone of such high respect and being dubbed the Prince of Darkness, his catalog in general, in terms of individual reissues, has never been approached in a giant reissue campaign. Now, sure, we have gotten the See You on the Other Side box set, which brings together everything, and there have been separate reissues of Osmosis and No More Tears, and obviously this album recently, but you would think that, you know, Ozzy's catalog would be appraised in such a grand style, but that's besides the point. So this is actually an RSD Essential pressing. Um, not exactly came out as part of Record Store Day, but it's kind of like a part of an offshoot that enables RSD to kind of put things out a bit more consistently than just subjecting it to the main Record Store Day in April and the Black Friday equivalent in November. But this pressing is really solid because you do get a nice fold-out poster that was not featured with the original, and you also get um, the record pressed on sort of marbled blue colored vinyl, which looks very solid, and it matches the color scheme of the artwork just perfectly. Um, Bark at the Moon as an album, I'm not going to lie, I have not listened to for a number of years. Um Obviously, this was the first album that Ozzy did after losing Randy Rhodes, who had passed away back in 1982. So at this point now, he brought in Jakey Lee, who was a fantastic guitarist, who only had such a short sort of lifespan in Ozzy's band. There's only this record, as well as the Ultimate Sin album, and that's before um, Zach Wilde kind of came in and changed everything. But one of the things that I admire about Ozzy's solo stuff in general, and this album is case in point, is his strong sense of melody. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, he had said in an interview that he essentially wanted to take what he was doing with Sabbath and just make it in a more commercial direction. And you can sense that because for as heavy as these songs are, there is a sort of sense of structure with them to make them somewhat accessible. Not in the pop sense, but in terms of like it, it just simply works from a compositional point of view. 
So I really enjoyed this album and revisiting it for the first time in a long, long time. And I can honestly hope that the rest of the Aussie catalog gets this treatment because, let's face it, the man is a legend and his work deserves to be reappraised. And now I'm going to shift gears into a brand new release that just came out fairly recently. And I'm just going to say this. If the release of this album is an indicator of what goodness is to come in the year of 2024, then we are off to the races with Green Day's Saviors. Now, Saviors is... The band's first album since 2020's Father of All, which, not going to lie, that one was a stinky, steamy one. Let me just tell you that right now. Uh, More or less a sort of contractual obligation since they were really hyping up at the time that they were no longer with Warner Reprise and this and that. But obviously, they are still part of the roster. They probably renegotiated their contracts. And they put out a record that I think in hindsight is going to stand out well instead of looking in retrospect and thinking why did they go in that direction or why did they do this or why did they write this song uh the best way that i could describe it because i did write a review of of this album for tracking angle which i do advise you to go on the website and check it out as well as other great uh reviews by other great writers um to kind of summarize it i think this album's pacing matches up with their early stuff whether it's older albums like kerplunk or dookie or nimrod but when it comes to the songs composition wise it has that sense of maturity that can be found on records such as um american idiot and 21st century breakdown and it doesn't have to follow that strict sort of punk rock opera sort of formula that they kind of sort of drew themselves in obviously it worked because those two records that i just mentioned are absolutely classic um and solid records in their canon but this i feel like strips away some of the theatrical elements and it just hones in on the music and it's a perfect snapshot of What made Green Day stand out so much when they started and carries on how they evolved and this record just sits perfectly right in the middle uh, between whichever fan you are, whether you started out as an early days fan or you came later to the party in the mid 2000s. Uh, But it's an absolutely solid record and I cannot say enough good things about it. I got my hands on the uh, indie exclusive pressing because there are quite a number of pressings out there of this record. It's crazy. I've lost track. But the one that I got is I think the most aesthetically pleasing one. And it's pressed on a sort of split black and pink colored vinyl, which obviously matches the aesthetic of the artwork perfectly because uh, the band's name and album title is in pink and there's a black and white photo um, on on the uh, on the cover. So it perfectly just matches essentially. And um, I do have to say, not to just kind of go off on a tangent, but somewhat relates to the album, uh, but the tour that they're doing for this record is also celebrating the 30th anniversary of Dookie, as well as the 20th anniversary of American Idiot, and it was just recently announced that they will be performing both of those albums live on that tour. Now, I am not typically one that seeks out tickets for stadium rock tours. That's just not my thing and i just don't really partake in that but i know for a fact that this is going to be a tour to see so i am really super stoked about it and just between that announcement and how great this record is it just made me even more happier to be a green day fan at this point in time 
Now it's time to approach my latest sort of deep dive for the past, what, two weeks or so? And I feel like I am approaching this sort of deep dive on the most like polar time of the year because while I am in the dead cold, I am listening to the soundtrack of summer with the Beach Boys. Uh, the Beach Boys are, of course, a band that I grew to appreciate and love so much as I got older and approached my college years. And I think I have to give credit to where it's due for the album Pet Sounds for sort of sculpting my music tastes uh, for the past uh, almost 10 years. I mean, it hasn't been exactly 10 years since I first listened to it, but we're, we're approaching it there. So that record is monumental for everything that I listen to today. And my favorite Beach Boys album is the Wild Honey album, which came out back in 1967. And that's the album that I've been listening to a lot lately. Now, Wild Honey is not exactly a record that a lot of casual uh, fans of the Beach Boys will identify the band with. Uh, because if you think about the history and timeline of when this album took place and when it happened, this was just after the sort of smile fiasco. I say fiasco in the sense that um, the smile sessions were going on and Brian Wilson was going through a lot of mental distress and just the complexity behind the work that he was doing at the time. Uh, the album never got off the ground. So instead, he put out Smiley Smile with the Beach Boys, which was a sort of compromise met at the middle, um, very much in the lo-fi sort of vein and just did not really live up to all this hype that was built around Smile. But Wild Honey was like the first step of kind of getting back into business and and there is a very strong R&B type influence on this record, uh, particularly with the title track as well as Darlin, um, Here Comes the Night, um, just all kinds of great soulful tracks. Um, and even though like this is the start of the period where Brian would withdraw from the band, you can hear his voice all over tracks like I'd Love Just Wants to See You, as well as Let the Wind Blow, which I think is a very sort of quintessential yet introspective Beach Boys song. Um, it's absolutely solid. And obviously this album for, um, primarily came out in mono when it first was released. But um, the copy that I have in my collection is a stereo pressing, uh, which was actually newly mixed back in 2017 for the album's 50th anniversary. And I got to say, it sounds absolutely tremendous. You got to seek out a copy for yourself. So if you want a Beach Boys album that kind of sits outside of the whole, you know, surf cars and fun in the sun type zeitgeist that they embraced with their older stuff that most people know them for, definitely seek out the Wild Honey album. You will not be disappointed. And now we're going to go a little gothy with this next record, and that is The Cure's Pornography. Now, The Cure is a band that I kind of know casually. I know the hits. I do have three imaginary boys in my collection already. And that's kind of it. And it's kind of thanks to my coworker, John, for turning me more onto The Cure's work. And one of the albums that he had kind of subjected me to early on uh, when I started to listen to their work was the Pornography album. And I think the reason why... I gravitated towards this album so much when I first heard it was the fact that it was so dark in compared to some of the more 
post-punky stuff that they did early on when they started and some of the more sort of commercial heights that they hit with albums like Disintegration and Wish. So it kind of brings that little element of veneer in there with just the image that they portray and the music that reflected in it. Now, based on my sort of bare-bones sort of research, the band was kind of amidst a dark sort of period at this point, particularly uh, band leader Robert Smith. So it kind of reflects in the music and tone of this record. And I think that's just one of the intriguing things behind it. And it just matches well, like I said, with their image. So I feel like for as bad as I feel not being able to go as in-depth with this particular record, I mean, I can tell you right now, like some of the solid tracks on this album are um there's the opening track 100 years uh siamese twins is great um there's even the two closing tracks cold and the title track pornography which are absolutely chilling yet also sensational by any means so there's a couple of other um early cure albums that don't I wouldn't say necessarily follow this formula to the T, but are still in that sort of dark, sort of post-punky, goth rock kind of vein. So I got to seek those out and get my gothic cure fix. But um, it's an absolutely solid record. And I picked this up when I was out in California uh, with my good friends, the Stone Kings. And for the longest time, what that trip was, what, two months ago? And I have yet to spin this record. So I've just been waiting on it for a while. And um definitely worth the wait because once i played it i absolutely loved it last but certainly not least i'm gonna tackle a christmas gift that i got from my good friend marikin over at marikin's music of course if you follow my channel you know that her and i as well as emma at eight vinyl low and jenna over at spins and needles are a part of the youngest members of the vc and every year around christmas time we always do our sort of annual christmas zoom call where we always gift each other records we watch each other open them and we also discuss some logistics of our trip for that given year and obviously we did talk a little bit about what our travels are going to consist of for this year but you'll have to find out that uh, at a later time later this year uh, but anyways uh, Marikin had gifted me this record and she said that she was shocked that I did not own it and quite frankly I had never listened to it before but I knew that given its stature I would approach it eventually and that is Elton John's Captain Fantastic. This album came out back in the mid-70s. This was during Elton's sort of golden period that was, you know, just amongst albums like his self-titled Honky Chateau, Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Caribou, Rock of the Westies. Like, this record sits perfectly within that sort of, as Elton describes it, that, you know, five-year uh, cheese sort of period. Um, and honestly, this record flows perfectly and it has all of the tropes that you would love to hear in an Elton John record. You have obviously the hits such as Someone Saved My Life Tonight. You have the opening track which just sets the tone and paints the picture for the concept that this album sort of delves into. Uh, the closing track, Curtains, has this great sort of vocal coda uh, that just trails on and wraps the album up beautifully. There's some great glam sort of elements in there. Like, it's just absolutely 
absolutely sensational. Nice gatefold jacket. There's a lyric booklet as well. And it's absolutely sensational. And I think the only record that I need of this sort of golden Elton period is Rock of the Westies. I got to seek that out. But sort of at the same time as I've been diving into the Beach Boys stuff, um, I've been going down a massive Elton rabbit hole and watching documentaries and revisiting some other albums of his that I particularly like. Um, my favorite being the self-titled record with uh, Your Song and Take Me to the Pilot. And I even have a lot of love for his debut album, Empty Sky. That song, Skyline Pigeon, it is perfection. But yes, Captain Fantastic, an album that I shockingly never have listened to before, but obviously I knew that I was going to approach it one day, and I'm glad that I did because it is absolutely fantastic and quintessential Elton. So there you guys go. That wraps up another episode of Current Rotations, a series that I, the Record Spinner, am hosting exclusively here on Vinyl Community Podcasts. See you guys in the next episode, and most importantly, keep the record spinning. (laughs) 